Okay. Shut up. Everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Hey there. Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Um, Liza is on the East Coast. I'm taking the helm tonight. Let's get to who's in the room. We've got a nice, uh, nice group with us this evening. Sitting on the board, it's John. What's up, everybody? Spent my day chasing a very simple electrical gremlin. Yes, you it did. It ruined my day. And we're going to come to that. Ah. Classing well, up the classy girl couch is Craig. The juice is loose. <laughs> my God. That's amore. <laughs> <laughs> also on the classic girl couch a mystery guest very good friend of mine and we're going to get into your story a little bit later it's donovan hey hey it's donovan corbett the musician right yes yeah. and many <laughs> things yellow, yellow. and sitting by his special window naked jim hey peace love and dirt bikes <laughs> and all those things and Coming to us from his luxury abode in Veneta, Oregon, USA, it's the Bagler. Yeah, greetings, uh, warmest greetings, actually, from the very cold Pacific Northwest. Yeah, tell me all about that well, cold. Ba- ba- I got to say, if you don't mind, Bagel looks like he's been drinking a wee bit of antifreeze by the color of his face. <laughs> Are you snockered up there? Have you been was, drinking snops? No, you can't no. resist those Vespa juices. Oh, God. No, no, no just, just fresh episode. out of the shower. Um, uh. How cold is it, Bagel? I mean, I remember when the one show used to be in February and occasionally mm-hmm. we go up there and it's like, damn, this is cold. Um, well, so far it's been fairly mild this winter, but yesterday that all changed and, and we got very got below freezing last night. Right now it's about 33, but we're scheduled to get down to like 22 what, tonight. What, 33? Mm. 33 is it and it'll be 22 tonight and that's plenty cold in it eh? fahrenheit yes in freedom degrees in freedom degrees um look we got we have a great show for you tonight um got a lot of things to get through a really big shoe a really big shoe um let's talk about what happened in the garage today and you know i'm going to start with you john yay so let's talk about your electrical problem because I got a text from you mm-hmm. at about nine o'clock this morning I while know. I was sitting over my cornflakes mm. and it was a little desperate. Mm. And you said, I said, help my bike won't start right now. <clears throat> I should point out that I have, I supplied a brand new battery for this bike. And it was like $4 million. A $4 million <laughs> battery. No, it's actually more than that. <laughs> Um, six million dollar battery. It was a six million dollar battery, um, and it it wasn't that old. It's was only about a month ago, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, you know, just for the record, Triumph batteries for my Tiger, they they have one battery, and that's it. So it was a whole room. You know, we had to jump through a bunch of hoops. Of yeah, exactly. If you look on battery lists, you yeah. can't. Nobody lists a battery no. for that bike, so you have to kind of figure out what it's got in it, and it's it's a very expensive battery. But you went to the Santa Cruz Diner. I did. Which is a known dining spot to stock up on sausage, eggs, bacon, mm-hmm. hash browns, and pancakes. Right. Got yourself a hearty breakfast, and you Jim- went outside, and your bike wouldn't start. It wouldn't Woody's- start. So Jim and I were headed out to uh, to do a ride, which ended up not working either way. But um, it's raining cold. But yeah, so I went out and uh, pressed the button, and nothing happened. Zero. So, and I just changed the battery, obviously. So I assumed that there was something else going on because it, it was um 
it was I it was on the it was on it, it sat for a month and when I went to start right. it it wouldn't start. And you know it's a common problem even with newer bikes with newer batteries bikes do not like sitting around no. and of course you live up in the mountains of Santa Cruz right which is a high damp yeah situation. And what I've learned about Triumphs from Emma and others is that if it you need 12 amps. If you got 11, it ain't going to work. Or 10. It seems like it needs every bit of it. it. Isn't that with a lot of modern bikes, though? Yeah. And what they've done with modern bikes is back in the old days, you know, your battery got low and you'd hit the button. It kind of go. Rah, rah. Right. And that was so destructive for the starter motor, mm-hmm. for the starter relay, for the switch itself. And so they've kind of gotten away from that. And most modern bikes, if you don't have the power in the battery, it'll you'll press the button and you'll just get nothing because the, there isn't sufficient current to even energize the circuit. You'll get something. You'll get sad. Yes, you'll get, you'll and, get quite sad. I saw yeah. John's face. And if there was something I could I have done. I shed a tear. Well, John got sadder. It'll do it. Because, um, unfortunately, my truck is in pieces right now because I'm getting it painted, finally. Um, so the truck is in a million bits. And uh, so I couldn't do it. But you, you got someone to save you. Yeah, my sister came and picked me up. Great. And, and then I came back down with my truck. Very good. But I had, I had a battery jumper in there, yeah. a little battery. And then you got it running, got, yep. it, got it down to Misfits. Yep. And we had a cursory look over it. Yeah. Yeah. What did we find, John? Oh, a simple loose connection on the battery. Well, there is value in making sure your terminals are always done up tight. Mm-hmm. And um, the positive wasn't quite tight enough. And there's a lot of current going through that, mm. both in and out. Because when, you, you know, when you're required to start the bike, it's pulling a lot of current. And if it's not cinched down really tight and you get any loss through it at all, it could give the symptom. And the same, you know, when you're charging, if it's not making the greatest connection, the bike won't charge properly. So we've cinched it down. It's behaved itself since then. Right. Um, yeah, and it freaked me out because it was doing the same thing that it did when the battery went bad. And I'm sure the old battery, because it was the original battery. Oh, yeah. So I've, I've absolutely like, yeah. no doubt. And it's funny, you know, I've I've been a great... Yes, Bagel. Bagel's got his hand up. Well, I, I wanted to offer a, a top tip Ooh. For, for situations like that. Fantastic. When, when something suddenly goes wrong on your bike, a really good rule to start with is to ask yourself... What did you fuck with last? Right. And if you go back and take a second look at what you did, in this case, that would have shown you exactly what happened. Yes. That would have helped. And there is value in that. that And we will visit that because um, somebody else made a little mistake like that later in the day involving a wheel spacer. Um, But anyway, yeah. So we tightened down the terminal. It's behaved itself very well. And just see how you go with it. I hope that's it. Yeah. Um, I think it should be. Yeah. Um, So let me ask you this. Did you question, was this Hinkley England's problem or was this John's problem? Like, who's at fault? Did you? (laughs) Oh, I always start with other people. It's always (laughs) fucking Triumph. Well, I'm always thinking Triumph electrical problems. Yeah, they're not Lucas anymore. No. (laughs) Generally, I mean... Funnily enough, Triumph have had problems in the past, quite recent past. Um, I remember when the the revamp Bonneville came out in 2015. Um, I put seven wiring harnesses on those bikes really? for total wiring harness failure within warranty. 
And it all boiled down to the same thing. The clutch cable was rooted very, very close to the harness around the headstock. Mm. So when you turn the handlebars full right lock, the clutch cable had pinch the wiring harness and of course it'd give crazy repairs because depending on where the wires were laid in the harness sometimes you get a check engine light sometimes you get a complete engine failure sometimes you get an abs light mm. sometimes it cut onto one cylinder mm. sometimes the instrument pack would go dead sometimes the heated grips would go dead it was weird there was no real reason to it but it all boiled down and the fix from triumph of course they sent you a new wiring harness um the clip that held the clutch cable, the the new one was just a tiny bit bigger, so it held the cable away from the wires, and that was it. Sounds like a terrible so, thing to troubleshoot. Yeah, I just I was got, just going to say the same oh, thing. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So I was just in Emma shop with my Tiger. Oh yes, so, yeah, and uh, it was turned out to be the battery. <laughs> and um, yeah. Emma told me when I stopped by, I said, "Hey, I got a dead battery. I'm going to have to replace it." She said, "Oh, you're going to take out a small." Mortgage. Exactly. Uh, but actually, I got lucky, Emma, when I pulled out that battery, uh, the previous owner changed it, and it had one of those Japanese batteries. Yes. So I got lucky to not pay that uh, mortgage rate that you're paying, but... Um, yeah, it was a better part of 300 bucks. Yeah, yeah. but um, I know exactly it, it did not want to turn over. Like you said, back in the old days, yeah. they would turn over. I had nothing. And while we're on the subject of your bike, Donovan, so Donovan writes a um, Triumph Exploder 1200, and... When Donovan changed the battery, all the the service lights were reset um, and the service engine light came on. So, of course, we came down and I got the scanner on it. And I was trying to reset it and it four or five times I was trying to reset this service light and it would not reset. And then it suddenly dawned on me, the bike's clock needed to be reset oh, wow. for the, the service the light service to light. work. The date. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, the entire oh, wow. clock, yeah, the clock and the date. Triumphs come in two flavors. They come in just service light, which is mileage-based. But the new platform they're going to is mileage and date-based. So it's yeah. like 4,000 miles till your next service or yeah, that's a year is. or – right. Yeah. So if you change the battery, did you rem- do you remember setting up the oh, calendar again? No, I did not for sure. No, I don't think yours has got the date on it. I think yours has just got the the mileage. It might, I don't, yeah. But certainly the Exploder and the um, Daytona 765s, mm. they're the date as well. And if you change the battery, you've got to set up the clock, the date, and then everything kind of works again. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. All this technology, yeah, it's very scary. How long? How long does the battery? I know it's it dependent on the writing and the battery and all that, but like. Do you ever get to the point where, like, I should change the battery in this, or do you just wait till it? You know, once you get, one day? I mean, I've like I've five become, years, but no. some, like, some of them go forever. So, yeah, that was a question I had: is does it depend on the bike? Because I've had bikes where yeah. they last forever, right? And that Tiger, it was a pretty newish battery. Most modern bikes are pretty heavy on their batteries. Generally, the more electrical equipment you've got, mm-hmm. the heavier it's going to be on a battery. You got to think of about a battery like a bank account. So you can only ever get out of the battery what you put in so if you've got a bike that's very heavy on electrical equipment with fuel injection abs traction control instrument pack blah heated grips everything that is a lot of currency coming out of your battery which means that your bike's charging in a lot and there's a lot of movement through the battery 
two years, you know, even with a good battery, two years seems to be about the going rate. Mm-hmm. So I, it's a little bit of a tangent here. What are the worst accessories you've seen put on a motorcycle that will blow up either your stator or your reg rec or... Lighting. It's always lighting. Really? Is it the quality or just that? No, of, it's of just amps? people. And it, it boils down to the same. So it's my turn to give a top tip. If you ride a sport bike, stick with the standard lighting. And I shall tell you why. Sport bikes are all about weight. If you ride a Jixer, if you ride an R1, if you ride, um, you know, um, Kawasaki, and any of the top-end sports, CBR1000RR, yeah. they're built for one thing in mind, lightweight, which means they've got tiny alternators. Mm. If you upgrade the lighting either to 100-watt bulbs, 120-watt bulbs, or plasma discharge bulbs, or whatever, you were really going to work that charging system. Mm. And I have seen so many sport bike charging systems destroyed by lighting. Mm. What about LEDs? Well, theoretically, LEDs are low-current draw. But right. the problem is when you get up to a certain um, wattage of LED... They need cooling, so they've oh. got these little motors on the back to keep them cool, so and that's a current draw. Yeah, I mean, stock. Mm. I don't know anybody aside from, you know, the ancient English bikes, which had genuinely terrible lighting. I mean, the headlight beam on an old Triumph would be like a brown arc that illuminated the front fender. <laughs> but I mean, modern bikes, H four lighting and H one lighting is great. You know, even with yeah. sixty fifty five watt. If you've got twin headlights, as a lot of bikes do now, mm-hmm. with twin 60 watters on high beam, you're lighting up the road. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. more so than heated grips then, huh? Because heated grips... No, heated grips, funnily enough, are quite a low current draw. Okay. Mm. You know, because mm. it, it, it's it, it's a small, long drawn out thing. Mm. Lighting is genuinely, generally number one. Mm. And it's a simple formula. You know, it's, it's volts, ohms, and current amps. Um, and so you can figure out, but generally I find on a sport bike, if you've got a touring bike or an adventure bike, you've got a little more leeway because the manufacturer knows that, yes, there's going to be accessories on the bike and they've got a little more real estate to put a bigger alternator on to cope with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you see an alternator in say Jixa, they're tiny. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the alternator in a Jixer looks like it belongs in a 250. Yeah. Because I go back and forth about throwing auxiliary lights on my uh, Jixer, and uh, I don't just because it's money and time and everything else, but good to know because heated grips would be pretty nice right now. No, I think heated grips would be fine, but I mean, your bike's got amazing lighting. Oh, the headlights, yeah, they'll melt your eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Because you've got those little projector beams and those things. Transformer. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Amazing looking mm-hmm. thing. Same as R1s. They've got the little projector beam. So um, fingers crossed that's going to cure yeah, your so. problem. Um, what else did we do today? Well, Scotty came down and... Wrestled, she, a, wrestled a rear tire. Front two. She was having at it. It was, it was two new tires, right? Two new two yeah. new knobby tires on an XR650. And that's she did pretty well. She got them on. But classic... This is, again, it's the classic mistake. Is where were you last? She couldn't find the spacer for, for the front wheel that went oh. between the rotor side of the hub and um, 
the fork leg. Just get very, very frustrated which, with Which it. I will get is not a hard thing to do here at yeah, the I've garage. Done that. No, it's not a hard I've thing to do. I've done it here. As much yeah. work as we do down here, you know, the the garage is not the greatest environment. There's dirt here. There's a lot of people around. Things can get kicked if you're not super diligent. Yeah, and she was right by the door. But anyway, and she yeah. was right by the door, so there was a lot of pedestrian traffic. <clears throat> um, but is she Scotty, yes. Mm-hmm. Where were you last? Well, guess what? It was stuck on the tire machine. Oh. So when she, lifted the, when she lifted mm. the wheel off, yeah. the spacer stayed. So, you know, crisis was averted. Uh, well, I, was, I, 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 I jumped in a little bit. She was asking for some help, and I was absolutely no help. It seems like every time I do a tire, I have to re-remember the whole thing again. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get it on and off and everything? But she and Charlie, they knocked it out. And you came, I think, to the rescue. Speaking of tires, we're g- all greatly looking forward to Emma's tire workshop. Oh, I'm going to show you how to run yeah. the irons. Yeah, I mean, tires have have been a huge part of my livelihood really since the very, very beginning of when I started working on bikes. Um, Bending the wooden slats around them. Exactly, yeah, okay. exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's making... <laughs> when tires were yeah, made of wood. The, yeah. Well, made out of tallow. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd, you'd skin small animals to make tires. No, I mean, bikes wear out tires and... Um, Everyone needs tires, and you learn how to f- to fit them very, very quickly. And it's good business. I mean, truthfully, out of everything I do down the shop, I could give up doing everything and just do tires and make a living doing that. I'm not sure I'd want to because oh, yeah. it is a workout. Mm, you'd be tearing phone books in half. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a non-durable skill. It's something I find, like I said, it's like I do it every like year and a half or two years, and it's like something that would be good to, it's good to practice. I should be doing my own dirt bike tires way more often. Right. Because when you need to do it in a, in a the, whether it's the desert or the woods or whatever, all of a sudden it's like a two hour And there, deal. funnily enough, there is a lot to remember. There's a, a great deal to remember. And you've got to do it right because if you do it wrong, you're going to end up with a hole in the tube, hole yeah. in the tire, mm-hmm. chunk missing out of your rim, and so on and well, so forth. Your dignity deal, gone. Especially with wheel locks, it starts to get crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> but you know, wheel locks. As long as you know what you're doing, you can kind of work around them. Rim locks? Yes. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, rim locks. Yeah. They, um, but they, they, they add another dimension. Just one more thing. And um, Scotty was dealing with uh, two rim locks on the back and one on the front. And what a rim lock does, I mean, somebody said, well, what does a rim lock do? And it's, it's a very, very simple device. All it does is it forcibly clamps the tire to the rim. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, spin a tube. Exactly. In low pressure situations, like you're riding in sand, like you're riding in loose dirt, and you let all the air out of your tires and you get down to about 10, 12 psi, which is where you want to be in the really soft stuff, and you give it the beans or you brake hard, you don't want the tire to spin on the rim. Because if it does, it'll just pull the valve stem mm-hmm. clean out of the tube. And then you're done. Have you guys messed around with spoons at all? Like seeing which one's better? Because I just bought some Pro Motions. They're Motion like, Pro. Yeah, they're like seventy dollars. I haven't had a time to use them yet, but I'm just hoping that's the cure to do it fast. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of it's technique, and there are better tools than other ones. Anything that has a sharp edge that goes close to the tube is a bad tire iron in my book. I'll, I'll say my experience because I'm not very good at it, and I've tried different ones to try to make it. And I found that the short motion pro ones actually work pretty darn good. So I've, I've tried bigger ones, but for some reason those motion pro ones, 
and you need, I would say you need at least four of them, right? Right. Because you're going to do one, put it under the sprocket. So I'm talking about, have you seen the one that they go together? Yeah. 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 Yes. Those were good too. And they're light. Yeah. So you've seen there's a bead breaker. You kind of put a V into the thing. No, I haven't seen that one. But it also comes with. That's the number one problem that you have to overcome when you're doing ties is how to get the bead bead off. That's the number one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Once you've overcome that, I'm not saying it's easy, but there's techniques you can use, and I'm going to teach them at the off-road class of how to get that tire off. But getting that tire off the bead, it is a pain in the rump. Yeah, and and I I think last last time I did it was like at least four spoons, like four or five. Two is just not enough because you're going to take off little chunks and little chunks. Well, and that's the thing. You, 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 You would tack it in chunks. The Generally, the number one, the bonehead mistake, is people try to do too much, and you can't. You just go a little inch at a time, and you inch it away. When you're pushing the bead off, even on a tubeless tire, if you haven't got a press to push it off, Mm -hmm. you've literally just got to go round and round with the iron and just push it off a little bit at a time and just push it down a tiny bit, go around again, push down a tiny bit more. Then you get that really satisfying, like, dock. And, and it like drops into the bead. Always in life, a lot of lube. Uh, always a lot of lube below. <laughs> I am loving those new nitro mousses. I was going to yeah, yeah, ask like, about Oh, yeah. my God. No oh, so more you wrote flip. those today, huh? Wrote them today. And it is, it, they're beautiful. They, they stick better than any tires I've ever had. So what, like, pressure kind of do 12. They, okay. It's permanently at 12. Yeah, it's yeah, permanently yeah, yeah, yeah. at 12, isn't it? So, But way grippier than 15 or... Yes, yes, they're they're incredible. Are you running the Moto Z tires? What was it? No, I have um, the golden tire. Oh yeah, in the tire with a Y, Emma. And the the Kenda Desert DT in the rear Desert tire. The 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 front they call it fatty, right? The fatty, the golden tire, fatty in the front, and then the Desert tire from Kenda. And those those are working out really well for what you do because you were you were in some pretty high mud conditions today. (laughs) It was the thick mud. It was the (laughs) thickest mud. All year. Well, what, or, I mean, you, including you, last year. I was going to say, well, say where you've been because you weren't our normal go-to places. Hollister Hills. I mean, you know, we love Hollister Hills, but that's not where you were. Today. I decided to switch it up and go to Metcalf Motorcycle Park over in the San Jose Hills. A lot smaller than Hollister, but I had been hearing hearing about the San Jose heads talking shit on this place for years. So I decided to go find out for myself because uh, you know it's just it's smaller. It's local, but, you know, it ended up being amazing. I was very pleasantly surprised. There were beginner little ovals, pe- places for people to learn in the dirt if you're just getting started out. There were inter- lots of intermediate big sweepers. There was a motocross track, ATV track. And one of my favorite sections of it, they had a hillside track, which was basically like a flat track that was built into the side of the hill. And, yeah, like I said, those tires are por- uh performed amazingly i had the husky 501 out there and uh it was a beautiful day Le- yeah it was oh cool yeah nice so just tons of mud um was it crowded no surprisingly it's a big football day that is probably true probably true because i usually stay away from the weekend warrior stuff but i decided oh, i'll check it out on a sunday and it, there weren't very many people at all there wait a minute um, is it super bowl sunday not super no, bowl playoffs. but playoffs oh it's playoffs yeah. okay okay 
So, yeah, a lot of people sitting at home watching TV. And that always surprises me with San Jose, even with a football weekend, because it's such a big metropolis. And yet Mm. here's this track that um, it's not super popular. And we're always running over to San Jose. John does business over there. I do yeah. business over there. I mean, I could just see us going to zip over there, even on a work day, getting yeah. a couple hours in, and uh, then knocking out some work while we're over there. Well, for me in Monterey... Jim's running over the hill often. Yeah. For me in Monterey County, you know, Hollister Hills is really a no-brainer. But in Santa Cruz... Metcalf may be a lot closer than Hollister. It's a little bit closer, I think, time-wise, yeah. And it's a cool spot, especially if you've never been. You've ridden it as well? Yeah, I've been there once. Me and Liza went there, gosh, five years ago, something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's fun. Very good. But we don't take advantage of it enough. We should. You just don't don't think about it. Well, you got to deal with some San Jose traffic. but Yes, 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 yes. Um, Dirt bikes. Final news from today. Doug finally got his... XR650L. That thing looks great too. Yeah, he did, he did a great job on that. And you don't see a lot of the L's here. Usually they're the they're the R's that have been well, you switched know, I over mean, kind of thing. The L was the far more common of the two. Yeah, it's a good looking bike. I like. But the yeah, color. just because of the way the vampires are. I mean, you know, it's, there's so many of the vampires who've got the R's. Yeah, you got to have the R. They got to have the R. What year was that? Like a t- 2008 or 10 or something? Oh God, no! It's earlier than Very that. Nice. It's 99, okay. I think. Oh, wow. Okay. That bike is virtually unchanged since the 80s. Virtually yeah. unchanged. Yeah, well, those are those are like kind of the do-everything bikes, right? I mean, right, you know, absolutely. Dual sporting, they were kind of the original, you can do anything on this thing. And the weak point is the CDI, and that's what actually mm. went out on dogs. Um, so he just got himself a cheap. He got, I think he got a cheap Alibaba Express CDI. Got it running, and then he's going to get himself an OEM yeah. one and just keep one as a well, spare. You, you took it for a spin. How, how was it? Oh, it's an absolute death trap. <laughs> no, um, it rides very, very well. It's it's far too tall for me. Yeah, it's a tall bike. Tall bike yeah. I am nowhere near tall enough to Craig ride that bike. Craig is the only one who probably do it. Yeah. I've had four of them. Not the 600, but I start. I had an XR100, XR200, XR250, XR400s, but no 600. No, and no, I love them all. That I think, I mean, they're never fast enough. That's the one thing with really? the XR. Now, the 600 might be different, but it's a little piggy. No, it's 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 grunty. I mean, it's, it's a It's grunty, but that's a heavy bike to pick up in the in, in some single track you, if you took it pure off-road. I love the 400. Though. I was going to say, you surprised me saying the 400 could use more power, because I a lot of people love on them. They really? can always use more power. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yes, if you if you take that away, it's a bulletproof bike. I mean, I think Doug's commitment to that was amazing. He he went through a couple trials and tribulations to get that rolling. So I think he's going to be happy with it. And uh, yeah, it's a great platform. The XRs XRs are awesome. Right. Um. Before we move on, because I I really do dev- want to devote some time to Donovan because. Donovan's a very, very cool cat, and he does some very, very good things. I think it would be remiss of me if we didn't talk about what's happening in Vegas, or has just happened in Vegas, about the Meekum auctions. And every year, we say, these bikes can't get any more expensive, and every year records are broken. There's plenty of money out there. Oh, man, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the I mean, the two standouts for me, there was that 39 Triumph that went for a record amount for a Triumph. I think it was like 85 or 90 grand, yeah. mm-hmm. which is just crazy. Was that the most highest uh, 
the highest. Well, not no high. Forget it. I remember seeing that, but it wasn't the highest ever. No. Um, and then the um, Z1, which went for. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, the Z1, which went for fifty five thousand. Crazy. And it's part of me knowing how hard it is to restore these bikes and how expensive it is to restore these bikes. Because I mean, if you if you want to completely restore a big early 70s Japanese bike. I mean, it's going to take you at least 20 grand in parts. So that's not crazy money then. Well, you know, so part of me said, you know, yeah, it's nice that people are actually getting some financial recognition for being able to restore these things. But the overlying thing for me is that classic bikes are just getting further and further away from ordinary working men and women. And it's just a damn shame it really is well because i mean i've been kind of working class all my life and just by when i was born i've been able to enjoy these things and to me the biggest tragedy would be here we are in you know 2023 and in order to experience what a Z1 is like to ride, you need to be a multimillionaire to do it. Because, I mean, let's be honest with you, if you drop 55 large on a restored motorbike, there's nothing more than a toy. And truthfully, may never run again. It might become an office ornament. You've got some serious financial clout. You're not going to get somebody who earns 50 grand a year spending that on a bike. And I just think it's such a damn shame. Well, it seems like a lot of these bikes. I found the one that we we're talking about. World record, uh, 1939 Triumph yep. Tiger 100 with bronze head and special option fenders. What do you go for? 75,000 plus fees. So, so that's like 80, 82, 83, Something 000. like that for a motorbike. And like we look at a lot of times, a lot of these bikes, you know, they end up in, in museums, right? Never right. ridden that kind of a thing. And because I always think about it'd be fun to pick up like a, you know, a nice, an old Triumph, a Desert Scrambler or something like that. It'd be fun to keep on the road. And, right. But like you said, the more they get popular, the more they get popular. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's worth noting that the prices in Vegas are not real prices these are for restored bikes and some of them are restored to a very very high standard plus i mean Meekum do this very very good job of whipping people into an absolute frenzy that's what they do and they're very very good at it um and oh, they- here's the next bike yeah. Talk about whipping people into a frenzy new world record yes nine hundred and thirty thousand dollars the 1908 Harley, 1908 yeah. Harley uh, strap tank, Jeez. yeah, from 1942. So we're, we're, I mean, we're kissing a million bucks for a motorcycle now. You could feed some people with a million bucks. Well, anyway, you know, but you know, not to judge. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. It it it's um it's an argument that I don't think anyone's. Everyone would have an opinion on it. Everyone would have a valid opinion on it. I would love to allow everyone, no matter how much or how little money they've got, to have access to a classic bike just to experience what it's like. One other comment is, locally, they have last year's Quail Motorcycle Gathering winner. This year's record breaker, the most expensive Zundap. I saw that. K800, $187,000. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. So, anyway. Yeah. You know, unfortunately... 
you know, everything's like that. I, I worked with a guy, came back from the Vietnam War, bought a 66 Chevelle uh, Super Sport, and uh, he sold that thing, you know, in the 70s. Right. And that thing's worth, you know, a house now. And yeah, cars I, are a whole other thing. Right? Well, like, but like even cars from my era, like the 80s, I would love to have my car back. Those things have skyrocketed. Right. And we're talking cars from the 80s. Well, that Skylark it, used to pimp in with the uh, white interior I miss and the my sky five, blue paint. <laughs> I had a 5.0, man. I miss that thing. But those things oh, yeah. those things are so much money because now. Because it, it has a knock-on effect. Um, the, the collector cars like the Chevelle, like the Zundap, like the Harley-Davidson, have just become so unobtainable. Now there's this huge swath of people who can't afford that buoying up the rest of the market and now they're making the 80s cars and the 80s bikes more affordable you know ninja 900s the uh, tom cruise bikes from the original top gun are going through the roof now mm. those are those are like 15 20 grand bikes for a nice one which is crazy mm-hmm. and the thing yeah. is to remember about these bikes about that z1 that went for fifty five thousand. Your friend Chevelle back in 66. And to a certain extent, even that bronze head Triumph. These were not special vehicles when they were new. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, the Triumph was hand-built because everything was Mm hand-built in the 30s. But let's go back to that Chevelle that was built on a mass production line. It was built for a working man or a working woman. It wasn't the highest quality thing, you know. It's certainly no higher quality than any um, Chevrolet you can buy now, probably worse quality, because, of course, you know, now they they have to build standards into it because the Lemon Lords and stuff like that. So we're not talking about collector-quality vehicles. It's just nostalgia is a very, very heady drug. And it's a hard thing to predict. You know, I think we've on the podcast we've talked about, hey, what do we think are going to be the real collectible bikes of the future? Right. And it's kind of hard to nail down. You know? I was asking that today. That guy showed up at that really mint XR twelve hundred, mm. and I, I was we were talking to him. about Do you think that's going to be a collectible bike? I mean, theoretically, it should it's be. It's got the looks. Now, funnily enough, an XR1200, and just to revisit for people who's like, what the hell is an XR1200? It's a Sportster engine in a, what I term a flat track style bike. Mm-hmm. It's a very good looking bike. Mm-hmm. It's got 17 inch wheels, flat track style tank and seat. Olin suspension, high-level exhaust. It's a very, very good-looking bike. Sold a lot better in Europe than it did here in America. Um, I've seen a lot of grey ones and a few black ones, but, you know, when you see the orange orange ones, you're like, ooh, that's special. Well, hang on. Let me grab my phone because one of those went through the block at Meekham. Oh, interesting. Ooh, how interesting. But like, who thought a Dodge Dart? I mean, a, a Dodge Dart back in the day. Yeah. I'm a little dyslexic there. But yeah, that was that was my first car when I came to the states. I had a Dodge Dart with a 318 in it. And yeah, oh, really? yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Was it green, green or brown? <laughs> no, it's blue oh. with a blue brocade mm. interior. It was a four door and it had a 318 in it. That must I have been paid fun. I paid 400 bucks for it because right. it was just the yeah. cheapest chips car. That's right now. So this they were XR, everywhere in those days. Yep, exactly. So. Let's have a look here, because it is. Um, it was a conversation I was having with, here we are, bum, bum, bum. It is, yes, XR1200, one mile, and it went for, dum, ba, dum, bum, 18,000. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 
Yeah, because you could pick those up for like five grand a couple years ago. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it didn't have one mile. It's a but. very intriguing question. Going back to what Jim said, trying to predict these things. I guess that's the you game can't. we've been playing for hundreds of years is trying to figure out what is going to be of way higher value now. And right. the more I think about it, that it's like very interesting to just even ponder what motorcycle will be a classic in 50 years what will be worth 20 times as much now because almost all as we all know motorcycles depreciate right i'm thinking klr 650 those will always be worth 3500 dollars still be running in 50 years i think there may be some value in that and i shall mm. tell you why I think when we look back now, the truly valuable vehicles are the ones that were wildly popular when they were new, but have all gone away. Because of the sentimental value? Right. I had one when I was 20. Right. Yeah. Or my next door neighbor had one, and my next door neighbor had one, and I always admired it. Mm. Now, you, let's go back to that Z1. You, I mean, it was... The first superbike, but Kawasaki sold every single one they made. It was wildly popular. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the 750 Honda. It was a very popular bike, but the early ones now, you don't see them anymore. Mm-hmm. Unlike good old Dodge mm-hmm. Dart. Everyone had a friggin' Dodge Dart with a slant six in it. When was the last time you saw one? And so even those cars now are getting up in value. So I, my prediction is we look at the bikes that are popular now and very, very highly thought of and very much loved now. Or maybe did something special like single-sided single swing arm. Right, or- exactly. Just stood out at the time and were popular, but have all gone away. And now, that's assuming you can buy gas 30 years from now. Right. And the thing is, the problem is with KLRs is, yes, they're wildly popular. Check. They're not sexy, though. Well, they're not sexy, and they're, I think they're the, oh, excuse me, they're the kind of bike that they're going to be able to keep them going for a long time. So I I don't ever see a time when they're going to get rare. I mean, it may happen. You know, I always hate talking about cars on this podcast, but it's it's quite easy to make an analogy. Remember Ford Tauruses? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were everywhere. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you saw one? Yeah, like undercover, undercover cop. I think and yeah. they were everywhere. Oh, they're huge, hugely popular. Yeah. When was the last time you saw a Taurus? You know, things can go away incredibly quickly. Seems almost oh. like overnight. Um, well, you, a lot of that has to do with main, uh, planned obsolescence, too. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so. you know, sooner or later, you're you're riding a, a motorcycle, you're driving a car. And the cost of repairing it is just going to be far more than the value of it. It's going, sayonara, I'm moving on. And yeah. part of that's design of the manufacturer, part of it's, you know, there's so many factors that involved it. But it can happen so quickly that something goes from being the cat's pajamas and very, very popular to where the hell are they? Like a katana? Like something oddly, just there was something quirky well, about I think, it? Kind you of know, I think they're thing. big bucks now. Yeah, katanas are big bucks now, um, as John the, says. The brand new one sold like shit, though. Yeah, exactly. I, that blew my mind. Well, the 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 new one's ugly. The yeah. new one, the new one, the new one has got a lot of styling problems with it, um, and I think it was from a styling perspective, I'd give it like a six out of ten. Um, 
they tried far too hard on the front and they just cut the tail off way too short. If it had a long tail on like yours, I think it would have been a far more yeah, popular bike. Out a little bit. But it had this stupid short tail on it with an ugly um, tire-hugging fender, which everyone took off. And then as soon as you take the fender off, the tail looks even shorter and even more ridiculous. It looked like somebody kicked it up the ass. <laughs> it was just not a great-looking bike. Um, and there was no excuse for it. I mean, just put six inches on the tail. It's as simple as that. Um, but, yeah, you mm. know, maybe somebody will do a kit. But I think now's as good a time as any because we've heard the uh, dulcet tones of Donovan. Donovan, thank you for joining us. Now, um, Donovan um, is a regular down at Motosan um, for both as a customer and as a friend. And we have invited you on the show. Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, You run an adventure bike company, don't you? I do. Big Sur Motorcycle Adventure Tours. Okay. Now, we are very chummy here with uh matt beale who runs breaking away adventures breaking away adventures yours are slightly different to breaking away i mean i've always said in this big soap opera that's motorcycling there's room for everyone so tell us about a big sir adventure yeah yeah, yeah, go ahead so let me start with real quick i brought uh some goodies for you guys so my my second favorite podcast they always (laughs) <laughs> you guessed it. Uh, they always give out a gift, and it's always the same thing. So, oh my god! Here you guys go. Oh, gummies! Eat double. Gummies. These are great. Harbro, European. There you go. Now, oh, cheers. Are these the ones that make yeah. you fart really bad? Yes, they are. I got two bags for you. You got the snakes. <laughs> the toilet snake. Now I ab- no, I absolutely. Oh God, oh, Jim. Back time. <laughs> hey, Liza, I hope you're listening right now. <laughs> We're going to have a moment of silence while all the crinkly <laughs> bags are silence. opened. Oh look, I got a gummy dildo. Is that oh what it is? God, oh, almighty. it's a double header. <laughs> it is a double header. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that, no, thank you for bringing us things yeah. to eat, yes, Donovan. That you. always gets us. So let's talk about a breaking um, break away. Sorry. Um, let's talk about a big uh, motorcycle adventure. Um, are they multi-day, single day? Uh, multi-days. There's normally two days, but uh, I have branched out into doing some international trips, which was the goal when I started the whole we, thing. We're going to come yeah, to that. Actually, so the- I actually want to start like where I... Got the idea and everything, the origin story. Okay, do it. So, uh, obviously, I'm in a podcast that uh, you guys are diehard motorcycle people for sure, uh, which I love. I am actually not. Um, I like motorcycles. They're great. I think it is the best way to travel for sure. But with that said, I am a traveler. So, before I got into motorcycles, I did a lot of backpacking Right. um, in Europe, loved it, and... The hard part was getting around. It's a lot of work, that backpacking. It's a lot of work. So, And you're uh, relying on buses or taxis, or you're always relying on somebody else. So um, this started with a trip to actually Vietnam. Um, I had a motorcycle before, but um, over a cocktail, me and a buddy were discussing, hey, would it be a cool trip? And uh, we're both into history. And we said, how about a trip to Vietnam on motorcycles, ride through the whole entire country? So he backed out. I did the trip solo from uh, north to south. Absolutely fell in love with motorcycles there. Um, what did you ride there? 
uh, bagel. It was a scooter winner 150. And if I could have brought that thing back, I would have. And I was told I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> One, the funnest trip I ever had. Uh, nice. So it really kind of ignited. Oh, God, I can smell the sugar off those gummy bears. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so that really two. kind of lit a spark with you for motorcycles. So you kind of put the whole traveling backpacking yeah, bikes so, together. Yeah, it, exactly. That That is exactly what I did. It was backpacking from a motorcycle. Okay. So um, came back to the States, went out, bought an adventure bike, got rid of my bobber, um, wrote, uh, went down to Mexico, and like a light bulb went off in my head like, why isn't anybody else doing this? Um, people don't know what they're missing. So, you know, as I'm swimming in the Sea of Cortez by myself – on an empty beach, I'm just like, man, I'm on like an, another epic vacation that everybody's missing out on, and I I don't know where they're at. Like, this is crazy. Right. So I said, hey, I'm going to come back, start a motorcycle touring business. I live in one of the beautiful places in the world. Oh, no. Monterey's absolutely amazing. <laughs> and, of course, choosing Big Sur is an, an inspired choice for you. Oh, 100%. Because what a great destination but this isn't your main job though i mean you're holding down total total hobby yeah <laughs> and i heard cat on a previous podcast that says if you ever want to lose money start a motorcycle touring business he is 100 percent right <laughs> right <laughs> so um, well, well i think it's great because we talked earlier you didn't do this to make money or to make a career out of it you just wanted to have fun motorbiking and showing people cool stuff yeah just like i said like i to take people like I just got back from a, another trip from Vietnam mm -hmm. and to see people happy, even in Big Sur, you know, I take them down to Big Sur and to see the smile on their face, it is awesome. Well, you know, if you grew up in the Bay Area, if you grew up in San Jose and you didn't travel outside the city much, I used to see it all the time when I was driving tour buses down there. You, you'd go round this corner on Highway 1, you'd see the Monterey Bay in front of you. Haley Bell was a great example. She saw that and she's like, oh, you see that view for the first time. And as you start heading down the coast towards Big Sur, it just gets better and better. The view is incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, all the backpacking I've done, I've stayed some amazing places, but I've never seen a better sunset than Big Sur from the top of a mountain on a motorcycle. Oh, this has not happened. So um, when you together one of your tours um let's say you um you come up with the date yeah um and then you put it out there how do you advertise your tours so most everything i do is on facebook so you can find me big sur motorcycle adventure tours on facebook and we're going to include yeah. a link to all this in the show notes at the end of the the show tonight so if you want to find donovan we'll make it easy for you so Put it out there on Facebook. Yep. And then do you have a minimum or a maximum size? I mean... So I try to keep it to eight riders. Okay. So, and I have a pretty good size support group. Um, I have two to three other guides, one of them being a paramedic, one of them being a uh, mechanic. So I feel like I have everybody covered there on those two issues. Uh, we have a follow vehicle first night uh, on our camping trip totally catered so i have a trip coming up in march um well, so, no, hang on yeah. this is getting quite interesting now so the it's yourself and the two guides um mechanic and a paramedic a, shout a, out to fitz 
Fantastic. I was going to say, I'd hope you'd mention them. Yeah. Um, tell us about this catering business, because uh, I like food. Yeah. So I have a buddy who, uh, when I say he's like a top-notch cook, he's a top-notch cook. And he does a lot of uh, banquets and stuff like that. And when I was putting this all together, he says, hey, I want to help you out. Um, basically, I'll just charge you food uh, cost, and I'll volunteer. And he charges me nothing. Oh, fantastic. So it's a it's a great deal. Um, I, I can't beat that. No, absolutely yeah. you can't. So, so um, you, you, you do a full day's riding and then sit down and have a gourmet dinner? Correct. So this next one, we're going to be camping at Laguna Seca the first night. Okay. So if you're into motorcycles, race cars, you know, that's Mecca yes. here on the West Coast. And then, uh, so we're going to start in San Francisco. We're going to head down the coast through Santa Cruz mountains. And then, um, yeah, we're going to camp at Seca. We eat dinner for the night. And then we head down to Big Sur. We hit the mountains. We have lunch along the river. And, yeah, it's a, it's a great ride. I mean, so when you get down to Big Sur, it, it's, hard, it is, it's hard to describe the beauty because you get up in the mountains, and it's, um, it's Los Padres National Forest, right? Yeah. So Los Padres National Forest and uh, the Ventana Wilderness. Um, and it is stunning up in this area. Um, you know, it, you got to go from sea level, depending on the road, kind of zigzag up to like, I don't know, 1,200 feet, 1,500 feet. Very dramatic, like very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the best of both worlds. You got, it's mostly pavement because, you know, here in California, we only have so much dirt to ride. Um, but the views on Highway 1 are just stunning. I mean, yeah. if you've just, never seen, yeah, if you've never seen Brick, Bixby Bridge or things oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's world class. I mean, the whole Highway One, the whole mm -hmm. entire thing. Now, if someone wants to sign up for your tour, can they do it on a street bike, or do you recommend an adventure no, bike? So I, I kind of make sure. So I talk to everybody first. You cannot just give me your money and then I take you. I kind of do a little vetting process to make sure that you're going to enjoy the trip. So make sure you have an adventure bike. I'll talk to you about your experience. Um, Depending on the bike, uh, we'll say like a GS and you don't have any experience off-road, or I should say if you have limited experience off-road, I'm going to highly, highly recommend that you have knobby tires because uh, that is a hard bike to control with street tires off-road. Especially this year. Yeah. So this one's going to be interesting coming up. Uh, Highway 1's still closed, but theoretically it should be open by March. So Can you, can you get up to uh, Pruitt Ridge now? Uh, right now everything's closed. Yeah. Yeah. So now that's an interesting point for a lot of us that um, the whole Big Sur experience and Highway One experience is a way of life. Road closures. This is kind of like an unknown factor, and we had some pretty brutal storms here, um, and they were quick. Yeah. They came mm -hmm. in, they dumped a lot of stuff, and they went out quick, and they were very, very destructive for Highway One. Um, have they given are you getting any kind of timeline from Caltrans yet? I, I have not. So I've been monitoring it every day. Uh, we're still a month and a half out from the next ride. I mean, I wouldn't think it'd be that hard to push dirt off the side of the mountain into the ocean, but yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of places now. Last time I went down to Cambria that way, which it is, the three hours goes by like nothing. It's gorgeous. But I think there's still a couple of one way stops, like they stop, you know, after Correct, the traffic yeah. come and go. So I think they're still making repairs from. A years year ago yeah. well you know the story oh, yeah. of highway one is very very interesting it was part of the new deal um and so highway one as we know it was built in the 19 late 1920s 1930s 
um, which makes it basically 90 years old. And obviously, it's had a great deal of maintenance since then. But the the underlying structure takes a pounding. Yeah. Have you ever seen pictures of how they made the Bigsby Bridge? No. Mm-hmm. When you when you get a chance, you got to look up photos of when they constructed that. It was amazing. Huh. Yeah. Well, how did they do it? Uh, I mean, wood forming it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, wild. just imagine how they. I mean, it looked like one of those old roller coasters with wood. Oh my gosh. Uh, which those things strip me out. But yeah. You know, your MO was talking about making a wooden wheel <laughs> earlier. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, they basically made a giant wooden wheel and then they filled it with concrete. Wow. But it's like the giant, uh, the wooden, the, the giant dipper over here, a roller right. coaster. Yeah. Just like just 10 in, times insane. as well, big. I, I, <laughs> I believe that the giant dipper here in Santa Cruz is the oldest operating wooden roller coaster in the U.S. At least on the West Coast. But um, Highway 1's a very, very interesting ride. All the bridges are dated. Correct. And they're all from like 31, 32. But it's an amazing road. And then I don't know if you know this too. The prison crews, I guess, did a lot of that work to build that road. So, like you were saying, back in the New Dale, they had, I don't know if they called it hard labor back then, but you know, if you've ever seen those old movies, they put prison crews to work. Cool hand roads. Yeah. Cool hand Yeah. Well, you know, the early 1930s was a very, very interesting period of time for America. You remember course, that, huh? Oh, vividly, vividly. <laughs> you were you like, know, you're like 32. No, no, I, I'd sit down with my grandchildren back then, and you know, um, no, America had just come out of the Great Depression. Really started on Wall Street in 1929, um, and on and on. I mean, it really lasted until America's entry into the Second World War in um, at Pearl Harbor. Really motivated. Really got things Nothing moving. like war to get the economy going. Ain't that the truth? Mm-hmm. Um, but all these massive public works, like the Hoover Dam, like Highway yeah. 1, were all done in that period of time, basically to get America moving again. I, I thought it was pretty visionary stuff, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. We can't build a high-speed rail now, but that's a whole other conversation. Can't no. build a reservoir, for God's sake. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Mm-hmm. Oh, but anyway. good news. All California reservoirs now are what ninety percent. Mm, that's good. Which is which is great. So, Big Sur Adventures sound great. What would a trip like that cost somebody? So, for example, the camping trip that I got is three sixty five. Okay, now what does that include? Obviously, yeah. we talked about dinner the first night. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a huge expense because it's oh, and it, and it ain't a uh, you know. Top it's ramen not, noodle. Yeah, I was so, going to say, it's, yeah. not, it's not a pot noodle. Yeah, yeah no, it, it steaks, you know, the whole nine yard. Right. So, um, hats, stickers. Yes. Uh, paid camping at Laguna Seca. Okay. Because um, that is a cost. And then, um, like I said, I got multiple guides, vehicles, um, in case you need one to get out. Um, and then so a like dinner. an actual truck or something. Yeah. Wow. So that's for, pretty the, big deal. So the first night I have a truck and trailer. Um, and then because Big Sur can get a little iffy on the trails, mm-hmm. I have somebody with a Jeep and a winch. Great. So if you go, you know, we have not had any accidents, thank God. Uh, but, you know, I, I plan for the worst. So if somebody were to go off the side of the hill, uh, I want a winch because yeah. I am not picking that thing up. I was right. at, Co- is it Coast Road that goes behind Bixby Bridge? Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll right I, when I came out the bottom end of that by the beach, there was a CHP guy there, and we were chatting. He goes, "Oh, you didn't see the helicopter lift the dude out?" And it was a guy on a a seven hundred one who uh, got a little loose and shot off the edge of the road because you know it just drops. Yeah, yeah. Oh, broken no. hip. But yeah, they had to helicopter his butt out of there. So it's real. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had friends uh, that have crashed out there. Uh, I have not. And it uh, 99% of the time that I've seen people do that, they're like out of control going way too, too fast. fast yeah. yeah, just way too fast. No, so um, how long is this trip? You say you start in San Francisco. What's the start time in San Francisco? So 9 o'clock. Okay. We start riding at 9. We pull into camp around 4 o'clock. Uh, dinner will already be on the table. I'm for guessing you. a light lunch at uh, Alice's restaurant. Yeah, or, or Santa Cruz somewhere. Just depends on the time. Okay. Um, right now, Alice's is on the list of places to go, but with the storm, the roads may not be. Yeah, yeah the right. maid's not. So there might be a detour from yeah. uh, Alice's. So it's a, a good seven-hour ride to the campsite. Correct. And then um, a nice camp out, meet new friends. And then what's your start time on the following day? So same time. Nine uh, o'clock. Nine o'clock. Which is nice because I've noticed a lot of these adventure guys like starting at this silly time in the morning. And personally, I don't like getting up much before noon. Craig and I like to take our time and get our <laughs> chi flowing correctly. Right. So yes. we'll do some, some mandatory chi. <laughs> mandatory chi okay. gong flexing I, in the I morning. I thought you mm. guys might have done that sort of naked Greek wrestling outside the Oh, I see. Okay. If, it, if it makes you feel better on the first day, I will be getting up at Odark 100 to make it on time to San Francisco. <laughs> okay. And we'll well, yes, of course you would, because you're yeah. starting from here. So, um, you um, start at Laguna Sacra at 9 o'clock. And then a leisurely ride down to Big Sur. What time do you finish on that day? Believe it or not, uh, by the time you roll into camp, it's going to be about 4 o'clock. Okay. So we, so a second night's camp. Correct. Okay. So it's two full nights. Two full nights yeah. in camp. Where's the second camp? So that's out in Big Sur in the Los Padres National Forest. Secret. That, secret non-disclosed secret location. location. Secret yes. location, which is... So I have yet to see another motorcycle out there. Oh, really? So, so I know where he's going. I used to go up in there. I won't say much more, but I've actually seen bear tracks up there. I didn't even know there were bears around up there. It's it's remote, and it is gorgeous. Yeah. That sounds great. And then day three, get up at nine. Do you just dismiss everyone, uh, or is there an organized ride on? No, the so I tell everybody, hey, uh, sunrise, we're packing up, and we're heading out. You're more than welcome to follow us out. It's the same way in as it is out right now right? Uh, due to the trail closures and everything. Um, so most every time everybody packs up we all leave together depending on what direction you're going if you got somebody from la they're going to obviously head south right, right, but right. if we all head north we normally all uh have breakfast at black bear oh fantastic so, yeah that actually sounds like a great trip and, and and good value for money actually yeah so i was looking at you know all the other touring businesses and i did not see personally uh and i haven't looked at breaking away adventures but um what you were i didn't see a value for what you're getting i didn't see any meals i didn't see any stays um you know i have a multi-day trip that has hotel stays um most of those trips you see you're you're on the hook for the hotel everything now, so i wanted to make it as easy as possible right and cheap as po- like i said i'm not really making any money at this um i've actually kept in touch with like everybody from our trips and it's more about making the friendships and just breaking even. Right. And, the, you know, this is the true spirit of what biking is all about. You you introduce people to new experiences. You make new friends along the way. You know, Kat, who does Leod Escapes, does very, very much the same thing. It is quite a meager living doing what he does. 
but he does it for the experience. He does it for the meeting new friends. And, um, and he goes to Europe a lot more than I do. Exactly. Sure. And that's the benefit. So where's your multi-day trip going? Same spot. I mean, you're called Big Sur Adventures. Is pretty much everything centered around Big Sur? So it's mostly centered around Big Sur. Um, we have a trip going to Yosemite and Bodie uh, later this year. But obviously due to the weather with the snow, uh, that one might be either delayed or canceled. Um, oh, Bodie's wild. So Bodie is, um, there's going to be a, a lot of people in America as well as you. Because what the hell's yeah, Bodie? Yeah, don't, don't take anything home with you. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> describe what Bodie is. It is a trip. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to explain. It literally looks like people got up and I don't know what year that town was abandoned, but literally like a town in the wild west days got up and left the schools there with the books uh just everything is no, still it, there it, it was a mining town wasn't it correct yeah, it was, yeah. yeah everything was out there for it mining eastern, and eastern I guess, sierras kind of? yes yeah, okay. yeah other side of 385 yeah and they uh basically the mine went you know dry and there was no reason to stay so the state uh ended up buying it and they've preserved it. Correct. Absolutely. They've done no restoration work whatsoever. Everything's just exactly as it was. Well, I'm sure that they've, you know, made it still look. I'm, they, I that, think they've maintained it. Yeah, they've it. maintained it. Yeah. They've maintained it and maintained the padina rather than restore it or let it go to ruin. Yeah. Now, do they do kind of Wild West days or is it just... Out there, I have uh, not that I'm aware of, but yeah, normally they have a, like a state park ranger who... Gives a tour and tells you about like a church or you know everything that's yeah. going on there, like a maintained ghost town. Right. Yeah, it's a, yeah, and it and it's huge. It is massive. All the other ghost towns I've been to is normally like a shack. Yeah, totally. With, like all with weird, a tractor, weird and graffiti and stuff. Yeah, and, this one is like it is huge. That's a beautiful part of California too. Right, it is almost Nevada, but yeah, very cool. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I definitely think people should sign up for that one. And then, what is your <clears throat> Europe trip that's coming up? So I'm not doing a Europe trip. I'm doing a uh, Vietnam trip again. No, ah. let, I want to kind of explore this love affair you've had with Vietnam because that kind of that's kind of predating almost your love of motorcycles, isn't it? It is. So I'm a huge history buff, right? And so you know, when I go to Europe, go to all the museums, right? And my dad, I think every generation looks back a generation. So like my father's generation loves guys from like world war ii right they love world war ii films john wayne yeah um i would say my generation looks at guys from the vietnam era in the same way so the first time i went back i wanted to see like where my dad served my mom's cousin was in the hanoi hilton and uh was a pilot that was shot down oh, wow it's a prison camp mm-hmm. so i wanted to see that um and just see where all these battles took place um so i did all that and it was just a great experience. It was not what I was expecting mm-hmm. at all. So the hospitality in Vietnam is <coughs> incredible. So I, the first trip I did there, I really thought that, uh, you know, being an American, it was not going to go well. <laughs> and it was the opposite. Uh, out of every country I've been to, the nicest people I've ever met. And you would kind of stand out there because, oh. I mean, you know, um, Vietnamese people are – Quite small, and you are a big man. Yeah. And you are a big, bearded man. Um, obviously, if we include the links are to you your... Are you hitting on uh, me, Emma? Uh, well, I was going to say, I think, um, 
I'm reminded of Bluto from Popeye. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. So, I mean, but I'm sure you stand out incredibly in Vietnam. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure you drew quite a crowd wherever yeah, so you went. People always want to take pictures with you, shake your hands. Of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, to me, it's like a uh, an ad for adventure riding. Like, everybody's waving high. Like, it, it's like an ad every five feet you go. So, so when was your first trip back to Vietnam? Almost like the fact-finding trip to find out about your family. So that one was 2020. Right, literally right before coronavirus. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you were cutting it really fine. I literally came back and the week after all the shutdowns happened. You could actually be patient zero. Zero here in San Jose. It was you. It was me. (laughs) Okay. So, and you've been back since then. Yeah. So, we just had another trip. um, Took a group. and um, How big was the group? So, it started off with six. Four ended up going. Um, we did all of Northern Vietnam this time. Riding? Right. So we rode the whole time. Okay. Uh, and for example, like one of the guys on the trip, he's been to Vietnam multiple times and he rides and he goes, Donovan, I did not know that this existed. Like, you know, you go to all the tourist spots right. like Hanoi or Holong Bay. And I mean, they're great places, but it's when you get out. What I like doing when I travel is going to places that people don't go. Sapa. Right. Uh, we did not go to Sapa. So we went north of Sapa, nice. but um, deep. That's a real deep from where many most so literally, don't go. Yeah, literally. Craig went deep in there for a while. I did. You're in did, Burma. Did. Yeah, <laughs> I was in Vietnam for a month. It was yeah. it was incredible. Yeah. So th- I mean, we were literally against the China border uh, for wow. quite some time. It, it it's amazing. Hmm. So from this point forward, you're organizing now. Um, guided tours to Vietnam. Correct. So these are motorcycling tours. So what can somebody expect if 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 they say, okay, I'm all in. I want to do a big sur adventure tour of Vietnam. What are they going to get, and what is it going to cost? All right. So it's eleven nights. Okay. Which is two weeks. That is pretty good. Yes. The first two nights. Uh, so the first night we'll stay in Hanoi where you, you land. Next day, we're going to go to Holong Bay to get adjusted to the time on a cruise ship. And these cruise ships are super nice. Nice. And they're kind of like the size of a riverboat here in the U.S. But I've been on the U.S. cruise ships, and I'm not a huge fan of those. This is more intimate. I mean, you can literally, one of the excursions is you're fishing off the side of the boat. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. Um, Kayaking off the the ship. They have cockfighting? No, but no? okay. uh, you know what they probably well, do might, somewhere. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. But um, so we do two nights on a cruise ship, super high end. Come back to Hanoi for the night, and then we basically do that loop where it's just going to be super nice up to the China border. Um, stay at hotels the whole time, so it covers your bike. What fuel. are you going to be riding? So they're XR one fifties. I believe that's what they are. XRs. Uh, Glor- like a tiny dirt bike. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to... Ex- yeah. Okay. Uh, I believe that they're China-made, but they're Honda-licensed, I believe. <clears throat> yeah. Probably very similar in build quality to the Honda Atlas yeah. that Liza rides when she's in Pakistan, um, which is a Honda-licensed product. Local quality, but, you know, higher than you yeah. would expect. So, I, so, yeah. So, I was really nervous on this trip because... Um, I did a trip to Ecuador, and it was a rip-off Honda, and I had nothing but problems with that bike. 
Um, we had zero breakdowns, zero issues. And we had a guy that rode the snot out of that bike. And if he could not break that bike, it it, it ain't breaking. So, I, yeah, they were great. Now, for somebody like me who's pretty well-traveled in Europe, um, pretty well-traveled in America, I'd be absolutely terrified of the diet in Vietnam. I mean, tell me about the food. Yeah, so I am really picky when it comes to food. I am not a fan of Asian food as a general rule. Right. Uh, my experience with Asian food would be Panda Express here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the food over there is fantastic. So I did not have a bad meal. So they have they have Western food. It's definitely harder to find there. But like their spring rolls, insanely good. White rice, insanely good. Um, I had a steak there that was amazing. That... So they had a picture of it on the menu, and it looked like a New York-style steak. And I was like, oh, that's what I want. Came out, and I literally could not identify it. And I was just like, oh, no, I got the wrong thing. And they're like, no, no, that's what you ordered. And it was like a uh, – looked like carne asada, like super thin, sliced up yeah, in strips. Yeah. A, I hope I don't know where this is going. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's not that. No. <laughs> and then they put some kind of sauce on it, but it was actually one of the best steaks I've ever had. Oh, no kidding. So I was actually surprised. Just looked different. Yeah, just everything there is done differently. The street noodles were so, so incredible. For a dollar, if you're in Hanoi, you can go get like an amazing dinner for like a right. dollar. Is it like a ramen kind of thing? or what? They're just cooking it. The whole family's out there on the streets. You just walk around. They have these huge hot... Um, it's just like steaming and they put all these fresh ingredients in there. You know, many places in the world, you know, they say don't eat the street food, stay away. But Vietnam, the street food is sometimes even better than the restaurants. And, you know, to me, if you're taking the trouble to go halfway around the world experience the local culture eat the local food um it, well, it sounds be, like you do a blend of that you said you probably have some restaurants set up maybe eat on the street a little bit correct it's going to be a mix of both um and the thing about my tours too that i want to say is i try to get like as much local uh, influence as possible so like I'm working with a guy right now. I don't know if it's going to pan out, but to have dinner at like someone's house for the group, nice. I think I think would be amazing. That's cool. Yeah, just basically, I told him I said, "Hey, I'll pay for a party. Um, hook hook me up with the, with the place well, to have know, a place. Yeah, throw a party, man. It's yeah. funny you should mention that because if you want to include afternoon tea with crumbly cake at Emma's house. <laughs> on one of your big surtours, I can include that. And we can all sit around drinking tea and eating crumbly cake. We would love story time by Emma. Yes, and mm-hmm. we can have story time. We'll talk yeah. about the war. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> World War One. that is. <laughs> yes, when I was flying my Sopwith camel and shooting down the Red Baron. Um, it so, sounds like an incredible trip. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, you were talking about Europe and um, yeah. how, how you've traveled. So that's how I used to travel. And to me, Europe is not a huge culture shock. Um, to me, it's just like a really nice U.S. Right. <laughs> like it's super clean. Yeah, better dressed people. Yeah, yeah. better dressed people. But um, when you go over to Asia, uh, it's a culture shock for a lot of people. Like they're not expecting, like how Craig was saying, like people cooking out on the street. Like right. that, that's not normal. I think I saw some footage, and it might have been um, from Hanoi or Saigon, and it's just a street scene. 
and you know people are sitting on their balconies and it's evening time and people are out eating and this express train comes right through the middle oh, that's annoying and, and it's literally <coughs> underneath people's balconies and you can literally touch the roof of the train correct from or the your food is right up against the rails yeah exactly mm-hmm. and then you hear it coming and people are moving their things out of the way so it's it's incredible yeah i i love it it's like the wild west to so, me like there's i mean obviously there's rules but when you're there it feels like there's no rules and i'm sure you had an amazing time because you were towering over everyone craig i did i did i got proposed to twice really but, yeah the whole family so this guy presented his daughter then the daughter uh came over asked for my hand in marriage and then the whole family came out the grandmas the cousins they all stood around in great anticipation and uh unfortunately i did not accept her hand you in marriage bro- but oh I, you broke her heart what was the dowry was it just not not enough cows or what? I mean, well i think i would have had to been sending many many dowries mm. back to uh uh, the homeland if you, I had brought her to the back to the States with me as they wanted them to. Absolute cat breaking Player. some poor local girl's heart. I hope yeah. you're thoroughly ashamed. That was in Natrang. Natrang is where she... So, this is a silly question, but what about the language? Like, you know? So... Obviously, it's not an issue, but still. Yeah, so you can use Google Translate if they obviously don't know anything okay. in English. Um, obviously, at my... Vietnamese skills are zero, mm-hmm. but uh, you're pretty lucky that people around the world speak English. So especially mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. Um, everywhere you go, kids. I mean, everywhere in the world, kids speak English. How funny! So and you know the method I've used in the past is if you're walking down the street and you see a building with a picture of food outside, and you go in and sit down and point at your yeah, mouth. Well, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I use. <laughs> Yeah, I call I call it Navy Seal uh, yeah. hands. Ah. Yeah, I just give them messages with my hands, and that that's how it works. Yeah, exactly. We so, call those show hands. Yeah. <laughs> so the tour is generally concentrated in the north of the country the whole time, all eleven days. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So that sounds amazing. It does. It, it does. sounds like an amazing trip. What is the cost for that tour? So yeah, eleven days, eleven nights. Yes. With the bike, fuel, food, food, everything. Yes. Three thousand one hundred twenty-five dollars includes a child birth. Wow. That still. is a still now, but wait, <coughs> getting flights—it's not like flying to London Heathrow or flying to Amsterdam or stuff like that. How long is the flight? It's quite a long, long way. Isn't yeah, I want to say it's like sixteen hours ish. There's normally yeah, it's a long day. I think most of them are out through Narita in Tokyo. Um, so, actually, about, what what about the, is the cost of the flight? So right now, if you book a flight, there's like seven hundred dollars on Expedia, what? which is super cheap. That is incredible. Yeah, round trip. I've paid seven hundred dollars to go to Los Angeles. Yeah, no. He, the reason why I promise you, Craig hasn't died. He just pulled his plug out. Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, and for an example, real quick, you know, I have obviously a lot of motorcycle friends and um, they're doing a trip to Colorado here shortly. And I have not been to Colorado. It is totally on my list. But like I tell them, they go, hey, Donovan, you know, come to Colorado. I said, dude, in 24 hours, I could be anywhere in the world. I said, why wouldn't you want an experience that you'll never get? I go, Colorado, I'm sure is cool. Like I said, it's on my list, but it's going to take me two to three days to drive there. Um, the cost of hotels there are crazy ex- expensive. You know, this is a bucket list trip 
for basically three thousand dollars. Well, you know, I for like two weeks. I like to think that because as people we've chosen to ride around on motorcycles, that means we have an adventurous spirit within us anyway before we even start, and. You know, traveling within the, the United States, it's a safe bet. Everyone's going to speak your language, yeah. give or take. And the, the cultural, be it different, especially when you get down into the Deep South, is different, but it's navigable. Um, but if you step out of your comfort zone and experience these things, you know, when I go back to the Italian trip, um, I had quite a few people on that trip who'd never been outside America before. And they would just absolutely enthralled with the trip they thought it was the greatest thing just to experience this and you know they say um, traveling is the greatest education of all i like to think that every single person that was on that trip came back a slightly different person um 100 and I, it, with your vietnam trip it'd be like that turned up to 11 yeah because I, it's such a cultural difference yeah, and to me, like I said, it's all about the smiles. And you know what I like about Vietnam is everything's so real there and, like, raw and old school. So, like, you can pass a guy who's literally – I made a video. It's on my website. But the guy's hand-chiseling wood sculptures. You know, everything here in the U.S. would – not that there's not people that don't do that. Right, but, but- – CNC machined or stuff like that. Um, you'll see guys carving marble statues on the side of the road. Um when you watch them do the the rice fields, you know, in America, we would just have big machines that would do... Actually, I looked up how we do rice here in America. We have huge machines that do it. Right. There, it's all done by hand. And I thought it was actually kind of cool because everybody in town has a job. I mean, if you brought in a big machine, everybody's out of a job. So uh, it's really cool. Everybody's super nice and friendly. And, yeah, it's just a great experience. You know, thank you so much for coming in and sharing that. I mean, uh, are these going to be an annual trip for you from this point forward? Do you Cor- think? Correct, yeah. So every year you're going to organize a trip? Correct. So depending on how my vacation days fall, right. um, the because trip might change. Because he remember, he does a nine-to-five as well. Correct. So I would like oh. to do another Hanoi to Saigon trip again. But I will say that I think the North has it beat as far as beauty and aesthetics. So, plug it again. What is the name of your company? Big Sur Motorcycle Adventure Tours. And the easiest way to find it is on Facebook. Correct. Um, And you can just go in from there. Yeah, and you could friend request me, Donovan Corbett, and I post everything also on my personal page. And if I could give a shout out, I I am a volunteer instructor at uh, First Rides. Which I know you guys have had Clay on here before. Yeah, yep. no, we 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 yes. know first teaching rides, the kids. And yeah, yeah. teaching kids to ride bikes, which is great because the industry for the last twenty years has been saying, "How do we get young people involved in this industry? How do we get it?" At the same time, charging ludicrous amounts for kids' bikes and not being accessible. Well, first rides. You don't need money to be involved with First Rides. We're going to supply you with a bike. We're going to supply you with gear. And we're going to supply you with dedicated people like Donovan, like Clay, who are going to teach you how to ride the bike. It's great. Yeah. It's a great organization. Totally donate all my time there. And it, I cannot say enough about that organization. And, you know, just a reminder, 
Donovan is a very, very dear friend of mine. He's regular down at Moto Town. His cat is a biker down to his bootlaces, so he's legit. The trips are legit. Go to Vietnam next year. Yeah, have some uh, noodles, apparently. Yeah. To Craig. yeah, get some street noodles. And some enlightenment. Exactly. Craig, you were there for a while, too, weren't you? Uh, well, a month. A month, yeah. Do you feel it changed you? Absolutely, absolutely. I just went over there solo, backpacking. This was in 2012. And like Donovan was mentioning, it's just so... My goal was just temples and to eat through the country. And I ended up scuba diving on the coast, went and rented a scooter in Saigon and got lost on purpose. And that was a whole a whole nother scenario that was incredible as well. But it, it's just... It's unlike... You, your brain can't even really prepare yourself what to expect because it'll open channels that you really didn't even know you had like an acid trip (laughs) (laughs) very Um, very true just like that just like that just like that apocalypse now have you have you ever devoted any time craig to thinking what your life would be like had you married that girl Ooh, I, I have. I thought about that on the plane, <laughs> the plane, oh, no. the plane ride over. Um, I think I, I, I'm day. feeling. I'm feeling confident. Yeah, you're decision. feeling confident. You <laughs> yeah. made a good choice I because have. no, I have met your missus, and she's she is just lovely. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I think that was a good choice in for where you are now. You know, you've got a great business. You've got a lovely, lovely missus. You can't go wrong, really, can you? But if not, Donovan's heading back in a little bit. She's gonna, <laughs> exactly. She's exactly. still waiting. Look around. She's still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Donovan, thank you for being on. Um, it was great having you as a guest. Keep us informed. Yeah. I would like you to come back on the show, um, certainly after you do your next big sur trip and tell us all about it. More importantly, after the next Vietnam trip. Um, come back, tell us about it. I would love to. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I appreciate it, guys. No, you're welcome here anytime. Uh, Um, Good fun. What are we going to do now? Email time. (coughs) I'm going to stop you. Why don't I have an email, Johnny? Because a lot of these are addressed to you, so I'm giving you the chance to actually think and respond. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. Yes. All right. Okay, well. Well, um, if you feel really bad, there's one. Okay, thank you, darling. (laughs) <laughs> I've got my very own email now. So, Johnny, yes. let's start with you then. Aight. Aight. Hello, Misfits. I just finished listening to episode 503. I'm sorry, this is from Jonathan Schwartz. Hey, Jonathan Schwartz. Jonathan Schwartz. Hey, Schwartz be with you. <laughs> Doesn't sound Jewish. <laughs> Lone Star. Well, he's an MD, so we got to be a little more respectful. Oh, Jonathan Schwartz, MD. MD. Mad Dog. Podiatrist. Mad dog sports. <laughs> Police a pimple popper. Police chiropodist. <laughs> so he just got finished listening to episode 503 on good ideas and bad ideas. It, it sparked my curiosity and it happened to con- coincide with a dark hole that my mind has recently gone down. Specifically, I've been spending way too much time thinking about engine valves. Okay. My high school freshman daughter has been been taking a small engine repair class. Good on her. Yeah, at, absolutely. At I'm glad, wow. I'm glad wow. they have that there. Yeah, I dig stuff like that. So... Uh, so we've spent quite a bit of time discussing all things engines. As the topic of valves inevi- in- inevitably ro- arose, I went down the virtual rabbit hole of reading about the many types of engine valves and the way to achieve, achieve valves that function at a high RPM. I naturally have encountered the concept of rotary valve engines, cylindrical and spherical. This seems like it ought to naturally be a superior approach to valving high-revving engines as there's no inertial problem to overcome with repeatedly reversing the direction of the poppet valve nor the problem of spring mechanics and the valve float. 
Based on my reading, there seems to have been very few efforts to use this approach in motorcycling engines, but obviously it's not the standard and has never been achieved on widespread use. I don't seem to find that much that explains the problems with this technology and why it's never achieved widespread use. Miss Emma. Yes. Discuss this, and please shed some light on this good idea, bad idea, and its limitations in setting the motorcycle engines. Oh, yeah. Well, rotary valves and puppet valves, I'm going to be brief because we've got a lot of emails to get through. The big problem with a lot of this technology, it is great at a specific RPM range. And that might be low RPM, that might be high RPM, but that's not the issue. The big issue we face as motorcyclists is we own vehicles and the unique in vehicular engines that let's take jim's jigsaw what's the red line on that bike i want to see like 11 and a half or 12 okay let's say twelve thousand. yeah does it run smoothly at twelve thousand? Oh, the, the higher up in the rev you get until the very tip i i hit the, the yeah. limiter in second gear today but it runs the smoother the higher you go what's the idle I want to say like around a little under a thousand or fourteen hundred. No, it'll be seven fifty, something like that. Does it run smoothly? Yeah, I mean, idle's great. So we have an engine that has eleven thousand two hundred and fifty RPM difference, and it's tractable. It is smooth, and it's rideable from anywhere between and there's an optimum space where well, the, the cams come in yeah. and so on and so forth it comes up for the whoosh well the jigsaw motor i mean like around i mean as low as four and five thousand it's it's got plenty of pull. right exactly and therein lies the problem we are faced with such a huge difference in revs on motorcycling and so when we choose valves when we choose cam profiles when we choose bore when we choose stroke valve overlap All of these things, the way the cylinder head flows, we have to bear in mind that these engines are capable of massive RPM changes. Um, You know, a lot of people have said to me, well, why don't, let let me get one of those V6 Evinrude two strokes that they put on outboards and put it in a bike. It'd be a lousy bike engine, I shall tell you why. Make massive amounts of power, that's a 200 horsepower engine. But a boat engine is good at one rp you know just a single rpm that may be three thousand that may be four thousand but it's at its most its optimum working at just a steady rpm same as aircraft engines Mm. aircraft engines are tempting because they're light they make great power you know a lycoming flat six beautiful engine makes great power for the amount of real estate it takes up but it's no good at revving It's designed to run at a single RPM range. So in reality, it makes a lousy vehicle engine, lousy motorcycle engine. And it's the same with these, you know, rotary valves and puppet valves. Hope that answers your question, Dr. Schwartz. Um, I'll expand on it with an MS history hole. How about that? Bagel, were you nodding or did you have your hand up? Oh, I was nodding. Oh, oh, but I could go next if you like. Yeah, I, I would like you to go next, Bagel. Okay. Uh, well, I have an email from Stephanie Feld. Stephanie! Hey, Stephanie! Hey. Uh, Stephanie writes. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, everybody. Hello, Steph. Hi, Steph. I only started listening to your podcast a few weeks ago, but mm. I wanted to throw something out there that has been bothering me for years. I work for a small independent motorcycle shop in Pennsylvania. And we constantly get calls from people who bought one of those crappy, but not all that cheap, Chinese bikes. 
on the internet or from Tractor Supply. Yes. And the thing broke immediately. Of course. And they want us and they want us to fix it. Now, you all have mentioned that if the quality of the parts is fundamentally junk, you can't really fix the bikes, which is why we seldom agree to work on them. But here's the real question. Why are these motor vehicles even allowed to be sold in this country without some kind of manufacturer or dealer support network? I have heard that Tesla is fighting to be allowed to sell their cars outside of dealerships, and apparently there are laws in the USA that forbid that. New cars come from dealerships that can repair and support them. So why are these mini bikes and dirt bikes and quads, many of which end up in the possession of our precious children, allowed to be sold in this country without any parts backing or repair facilities provided by the manufacturers? I would love it if you people could address this in one of your podcasts. If you already have, I would love to hear it. What a great question, Stephanie. Um, the only slight flaw in that argument, I have yet to meet a precious child. Most of the children <laughs> I've met are just right little brats. Um, no, it's a great question. And there are ways that people get around that. A lot of these shoddy bikes are actually sold as kits. Um, and if you buy yep. something from Tractor Supply, you have to do the final assembly yourself. And so that's how they navigate around that the fact that it's not actually a vehicle. It's something you, you build yourself. Um, well, and, and there are two different uh, areas, I think, that, that we're dealing with here. One is that there's all kinds of you know off-road, not-for-road-use type of bikes that get sold here, which there's just no quality standards for. No oh, none oversight. whatsoever. You know, no DOT or EPA or any sort of regulations controlling them. Like the El Amigo. Then the, like the Amigo. Then there, right. Then there's the Amigo. Then there's the, the road legal bikes. Now, that seems like there should be more regulation on that, especially in terms of the quality, because that's a, that's a safety issue. Yeah, but these it's sold as a kit. It is sold as a kit that you do the final right. assembly on, which is how you get around it. Um, right. Now, interestingly enough, and we're just going to gloss over this because we've got tons of emails to get through. If you were to go into a motorcycle dealer and buy a brand new top of the line Honda CR450R, not the one you ride, Jim, the full race bike, mm -hmm. how much warranty do you get? Oh, probably none. None. No competition bike or off-road bike gets any kind of warranty from any manufacturer you could take that bike out and seize it first first hour of ownership and the manufacturer has no obligation to do anything to it now a good dealer will work with you and say well hey man this thing seized it shouldn't have done that but the fact of the matter is off-road bikes don't carry any warranty or any implication of warranty whatsoever I'd be curious to know what kind of Chineseian bikes she's talking to specifically. I mean, we don't mind oh, throwing people under the bus, but, but there's some that are better than others. So I'd be curious if, yeah. if it's some of these we see sure. at the shows that are the up and coming, and we're like, hey, these are affordable well, entry level bikes. Are they those? Or are these just like the other garbage you get on Amazon? I'd be curious to know more well, about what kind of bikes. If you remember, around this time last year, and guess what? We're going back again. Yeah, yeah. AMX Las from Vegas, baby. Viva Las Vegas. Um, and when we were there, there were Chinese bikes aplenty, mm -hmm. some of which were quite good, and some, some of which were definitely a bit, oh, so my God. Stephanie, I'd be curious to know more of, like, what specific so bikes are unrepairable or not worth repairing. We'll, we'll give a report on it. Oh. Um, but 
um, I like Stephanie immediately because she's a woman who's in the motorcycle industry, mm-hmm. and we need yep. more of we need more Stephanies Absolutely. in this world. Yep. Um, yeah. Keep it up. Yeah, keep it up. Keep it up, you. Thank you, <laughs> Craig. Sam Thompson. Sam. Hey, Sam. Hey, all. Hello, hey. Sam. Thank you for reading out my e- email on episode 506. That was a great episode with Mo Hart. Really interesting and funny, too, especially mm-hmm. the out-of-the-box questions regarding number twos, etc. Ha, 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 ha. Liza, <laughs> you do an excellent job of hosting. And Emma, your bike knowledge is very impressive. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Sam. Bagel. I wish I could appreciate your scooter input more, but I've still got a red face after falling off a Vespa at five miles per hour on a roundabout in 1980. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, some of the nicest people are scooter riders. Not joking. I saw the Belfast movie last March in in the cinema, Emma. It was excellent. Very accurate depiction of the early 70s in Belfast. The Van Morrison music was great, too. I'm only back to biking in the last four or so years after a 30-year absence. My friend got badly injured. We are a bit older and wiser now. Thanks for offering to get me a t-shirt, Emma. I really appreciate it, but I'm happy to order one from your site and will do so ASAP. Oh, Sam. Your podcast is the best biking podcast online. Woo woo. I even bought the book Spirit Traffic. Great read and very eye-opening. Going to be honest about my age. I'm 58 in a couple months. And you're I've re- younger than me, Sam. In your prime. <laughs> just, prime. Just getting warmed up, Sam. And have recently decided to try a bit of enduro. All prayers, oh. all prayers are appreciated. Craig just perked up, though. Um, yeah. Sam, I'm going to light a candle for you, darling. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again for the many happy and uplifting hours of listening. I'm keeping an eye on all your tours. Tempted. Please see attached photos of both my bikes. Regards, Sam. Fantastic. Thanks, Sam. And while we're passing around the photos of Sam's bike... Jim, you have an email. I do. And this email is from Mike Williams. Mikey! Hey, Mikey. Uh, Dear Misfits. Mikey doesn't like anything. (laughs) Give it to Mikey. Uh, He has interesting taste. Okay. So totally loving the Separated at Birth series. So I was going to have an issue with with his Separated at Birth at first, but then it started making sense. The smallest motorcycle in my garage is a 2009 Buell Blast. It has a very uh, uh, it has a very clear four wheeled spiritual companion, the nineteen eighty two Chevrolet yes Chevette he drove in high school. So oh. if you're not familiar with the Chevette, it is certainly not the Chevelle. No. <laughs> oh come on! I think it it's was five hundred. It was uh, oh what was it the the predecessor to it was um oh the name escapes the Vega. I think it was the Chevy oh, Vega. The Vega. I remember those. No, no, the yeah. Vega was before the Chevette. This is yeah, Chev- the Chevette was the tiny, tiny little, yeah, almost the, like a Volkswagen the, Rabbit, but even smaller. Yeah, no, yes. the Chevette was actually a world car. Okay, so, yeah, so anyway. it, was, it was sold everywhere in the world. It, it was sold as a Chevrolet Chevette, a Vauxhall Chevette. Oh, the Vauxhall, yes. Uh, and, a, and an Isuzu I-Bag or something. <laughs> you know, I don't know. T-Bag, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. An Isuzu Dirty oh. Sanchez. Oh, God. 
<laughs> That's amigo. <laughs> all, right. all right. So Mike is saying. All right. So Mike is saying the uh, the Chevy the Chevy Chevette is the companion to his Buell Blast. No, I'll take that. Okay. I mean, well, uh, equal in performance. I like, there. Equal in performance. He thought through this. Both the Blast and Chevette uh, were hastily developed by American companies to compete with imports from Japan. Neither Harley or Chevy had anything on the market comparable to the smaller, more efficient products produced overseas. Rather than design something from scratch, both companies hurriedly repurposed bits from elsewhere in their lineup. Buell cut the Sportster motor in half to make a single-cylinder thumper, and Chevy took the drivetrain from Opel and redeveloped it for the American market. Both the Blast and the Chevette came in five-speed manual transmissions and were small, relatively fuel-efficient. Unfortunately, neither one lived up to the expectations, nor got you laid. They gradually, de- <laughs> I had that in there. They gradually developed something Speak of a negative. Yourself, darling. <laughs> it did have a hatchback. If this Chevette's a rock and don't come and knock Is that him. where you put your dirty Sanchez? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've humped in the back of a Chevette. Whoa. <laughs> uh, okay. Developed a of reputation. Okay. We're discontinued, quickly forgotten. Uh, unlike the clap that you got when you were in the <laughs> That's good. Uh, Despite that reality, getting the Chevette up to 85 miles an hour on gravel roads remains the most fun I have ever had in a car. The Blast has approximately the same top speed and produces just as many smiles today as my vet did at the age of 16. Similar horsepower, Don. (laughs) (laughs) These two vehicles truly were separated at birth. Glad to hear everyone staying uh, safe despite all the storms. Thanks, as always, for the great podcast, Mike. Cheers, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Mikey. No, I think he's on to something. <laughs> it's fun just looking that at was, that. Car. That might have been the most thought out separated at birth yet. So um, I was being quite pouty when the emails were being given out, and I demanded an email from um, from Johnny. And actually, I'm going to give it to Donovan to read because it's a short email, and I think I think we should include you in this. Does he have to do it in an accent? No, he doesn't. <laughs> so just read it out. All right. <clears throat> hey, misfits. Eric from WV. Where's that? West Virginia? Mountain Mama? Or is it VW? No, it's WV. (laughs) It's the WV. Eric from the back of his Volkswagen (laughs) here. Long time listener. Several time emailer. Yes. Since this still seems to be a thing, I'll include my bike twin, which I already own. Yes, that's my CRV pulling the Versa. Reunited twins on their way to trail or the tail of the dragon. Yep. Fifth consecutive year. We call the big nerd energy sun. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I mean, a versus and a CRV. I can see it. Utilitarian yeah. vehicles. Yes. All. Very pragmatic. So yeah. um, I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. Oh, you've got an online uh, I've got one. got a lot more. You've got, oh, you've got a lot more. Oh, yeah. I thought Liza sent a dick pic. She did that, too. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> I think it was yours. Uh, so <laughs> uh, this is from uh, Carlos Fernandez. Hey, Carlos. Carlos. Carlos Fernandez. Regarding AIM Expo, it seems to me that you guys are much more excited about visiting Las Vegas than attending the AIM Expo, which I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be something to do that. What I'm curious to know is what specifically about AIM Expo and not Las Vegas excites you or is of interest to you and possibly to your listeners. The interviews you did last year were okay. 
Ouch. Uh, Jen Dunstan did a video. <laughs> that feels pretty good for us. Just okay. I'll take that every time. <laughs> take okay. Like, yeah. Uh, Jen Dunstan did a video walkthrough uh, that she posted on Revzilla's IG account, and I thought it was sad since it seemed greatly diminished when compared to prior years. By the way, you should check out her Motor Garage tour on Revzilla's IG. It's freaking awesome. She's based near San Diego. I attended three M Expos, Orlando in 15, uh, 16 in Vegas in 18. The one major thing it gave me that IMS did not is checking out and trying out gear, pants, jackets, etc., along with demo rides and helmets that IMS did not provide. Going to motorcycle stores is much more limited. Unfortunately, cycle gear is absolutely terrible since 80% of their gear they have is of the substandard brands. My secondary question is this. Where can new and current riders go to check out and try out quality gear? Having asked that, though, it seems to me that quality motorcycle gear has gotten extremely more expensive, so I cannot fault anyone for buying cycle gear brands or Chinese or Pakistani brands. To be clear, I'm not trying to be critical or demeaning. I'm just being curious with some frank opinions and thoughts. That's it. Take care. Carlos. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Carlos brings up some points. The, the thing is with AMX spoke. It's quite a polarizing show because whenever you go to any industry-only show, so you've got to remember the public are not allowed to come to AM Expo. It's people in the industry only. And you could argue that most everyone in the motorcycle industry are pretty much cynical old bastards. Um, it's not a <laughs> joyous show. <laughs> No. To say the least. And I mean, I'm not, in, I'm not entirely sure what you're going to be expecting, Craig. But <laughs> I just love it. Uh, the more cynical, High the better. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty much everyone there. And yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of painting it with a very broad brush. I mean, some people are there to have fun, but it is a trade-only show. Right. If you are at the AM Expo, you are either in the industry or your press. And so everybody's kind of down. There's, you know, this corporate schmoozing, which I can take with a pinch of salt. Um, but, you know, everybody's pretty much down just for business. Yeah, and you can, you can see the showroom, you can, the trade floor, you can see it in a day. You know, and it's not like it goes on forever. I mean, it's it's not as big as the one moto show or things like that. But like a lot of these events we go to, it's just seeing the people we know. You right, know, and having exactly. A good time. And, and I have a great time in Vegas. There's things to hate about Vegas. There's things that are a lot of fun in Vegas. And, it, you, know? you know, and it's lovely for me because I've been in the industry for so long and I run into people who I haven't seen for a decade, like the people at Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Um, and following their career... Um, you know, the guy who's now the CEO, when I knew him, he was just the area rep. And I think mm. it's just lovely that he's he's managed to get through, make that jump in his career. And the one the one rep I didn't like has been canned. <laughs> I love stuff like that. But, yeah, it's that kind of show. But Vegas. Oh, yeah. No, the gambling, the food, the strip shows. <laughs> yes. It's Vegas. How yes, can you not Vegas, like Vegas? Baby. We're so excited. Mm-hmm. And um, underwear dancing in our hotel rooms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll have the uh, Detroit Cobras on 11. Yes. On 11. So, dance off, dance he, off. He also asked about gear. And mm-hmm. I, I think we're all out of luck. I mean, cycle gear That's is the only, it's the only thing yeah. on the block anymore, unless you go to like a BMW store. What was the get- other big show we went to in Vegas? It was another huge show where it was like... The IMS? IMS, yeah. Yeah. The IMS, yeah, so that was cool because it was... That was consumers. Yeah, it was like during the week, it was only trade people, then they <clears> opened it up after that. That was a large... But that's hard to get to. Those are gone. I right, mean, exactly. And those, those have gone by the wayside. Yeah. But yeah, as far as gear goes, I mean, you really... It is getting to the stage mm-hmm. where cycle gear are becoming the only game in town now 
you can go to a dealer and depending on the dealer's attitude to clothing, a lot of dealers embrace it and that's a wonderful thing. But the, the thing you've got to remember with clothing, let's just take something as, as boring as a jacket and we'll go a high end like a climb jacket. So how much is a climb jacket? Much as you want to spend, but say it thousand dollars. Thousand dollars for a climb jacket. Now, if you want to carry that climb jacket in stock, you have to have six sizes, probably two of each size. So now you're up to twelve grand. There may be three color choices. So now you're up to thirty-six grand. Men and women's, you need each so now you're up to about 60 grand just for one line as one jacket a thousand dollar jacket means sixty thousand dollars in flooring costs Mm -hmm. now we do the pants now we do the boots now we do the helmets to fully stock a store with high quality gear with a good selection because let's be honest with you if you're walking into a store and you're spending one large on a jacket you better have all of the colors in stock, all of the sizes in stock, because it's a high-end clothing brand. So I got a question at the yes. show. Do they have clothing people there also? Oh, yeah. So my question to them would be, why is it so expensive? So I finally just broke down to buy a set of climb gear, and it was it's crazy, really hard <clears throat> to purchase mm-hmm. that. I was hoping for a Black Friday sale, something. Oh, and I, no. And I did not buy the matching set at the same time because right. they're so freaking expensive. Well, the thing is with motorbike gear, it's always going to be expensive because fashion doesn't come into it. I I like, I mean, everybody knows that I've got a total shoe fetish and I like wearing cute, fashionable shoes. But I managed to get great bargains because you're buying last year's style. Mm-hmm. Or two years ago style. I don't care. I think they're great looking shoes no matter what. That doesn't happen with motorbike gear. You know, Climb have got products in their range that are unchanged for a decade. So my question is, is between that cycle gear and Climb, why isn't there like something in the middle that's affordable that gives you the protection of a Climb? Because that would be still be a huge buy-in for... Well, you're not, you can't stock it. But what I'll say is the climb stuff is it's shockingly expensive. Like surprisingly, I buy it. I have a bunch of it, um, but it is expensive. But at the same time, I have a tour master jacket. That's my commuter jacket. Right. I've had it for like gosh, six or seven years now. Same amount of time I've had some Sedici pants that I st- that's the zippers still work and Which everything. Is a cycle gear brand. Cycle gear brand. The Sedici three season pants with the liners and the waterproof liners. I'd wear them every day still, but that tour master jacket, I was looking at a new one cause it's starting to go the some of the zippers and Velcro, whatever. Right. Um, it was like $280 and I wore it on our ADV trip that me and Pat, me and Matt took to, to Lone, Lone Pine. And I'm like, you know, this jacket isn't climb, but it functions. It, it's got all these features and stuff. I'm like, why is the climb jacket $600 more than this? Yeah, I mean, And I think it's just, it's what the market will pay. So people I, will pay that much money We for go, it. and we're circling back Because it doesn't make sense monetarily. Towards, towards the end of the show, we're circling back to the beginning of the show and our little thing on Vegas. It's what the market will bear yeah american capitalism so, well i th- also think it's the online retailers it's so easy to return stuff now and they're so quick that's on that. i guess the trade so you just order yeah. a couple you know that's i mean if it doesn't work and you- they're doing great product reviews and there's there's more information out there now so, so my question to tour masters like if you see them is 
what is the difference between you and climb like right. protection wise because i mean that's why i bought a climb was i want the safest thing well possible. climb I'd what say, climb will probably, it's a little different product but yeah yeah, yeah. What Klein will probably say is we source our materials differently. We yeah. might source them st- sustainably. Maybe made in America. They make um, them in Idaho. I know, I know it's an American at. company. So I don't maybe know if they're, they're made here. I don't know if they are. Right. But my, but my tour master jacket's bomb, dude. It's- the thing to remember about cycle gear, and even when you have the cycle gear brand, their own brand, which is built. Built right. in Sedici, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that if you buy Sedici pants and Sedici jacket, they're made by the same people. Mm. Even a different style of Sedici jacket might be made from a different factory and just outsourced with the Sedici label on it. So understand what makes high-quality clothing. Look at the stitching. Look at the quality of material. Mm -hmm. And you can pick and choose. And you get some absolute blinding deals in there, Mm -hmm. like your Tour Master jacket. Um, And I've been generally impressed with Sudici. I mean, for for the price point. I'm I'm, I'm wearing Sudici boots right now. And they're plastic. But Mm -hmm. I tell you what, they're great. They're comfortable. They're completely waterproof. Um, you know, and the other thing I'll mention, not to forget, is eBay. Sometimes right. you know, it's you don't get that much of a deal on a used jacket or pants or boots on eBay, but sometimes, especially boots, you can you score can get some Aristus deals awesome on eBay too. Deals. Yeah, but okay, it's it's. <clears throat> oh, I gotta look at Scotty's. But honestly, I I I feel for you, Carlos. But you've got to understand for somebody to well stock a clothing emporium, it's massive money. What has changed, though? I mean, used to, we used to have any number of motorcycle shops with gear in it. We used well, to have motorcycle I mean, shops, I, th- too, I right? think, the I internet. think, the online, internet. yeah. But on the internet, yeah. And but, a lot of it, we have ourselves to blame for no, it. I mean, in, because, in terms of cost of carrying inventory. Yeah. No, I mean, right. the internet has ruined well, everything. Gilroy Motorcycle Center store on the internet bunch. doesn't have the same overhead as, you know, a, a company that it's has a hundred physical stores across the country. Right. You know, back in the 70s, dealers would look very holistically about how they were going to do their business. And you rolled new sales, used sales, service, and clothing all into one kind of, this is profitable for the shop, so this is good for the shop. And some made more money than others. You know, service departments have always done really, really well because – it's low overhead and high skill and high, you know, you can you can make money out of a service department. But clothing department, I've never really known um, any motorcycle shop, their clothing department really being a good money maker. A lot of the times they had it there for the prestige and saying, look, we want to be your one-stop shop. We want you to buy your helmet and jacket and boots from us. But, I mean, secretly, they wish the clothing would go yeah, away. Yeah, we just went to just- we were all at a shop before the holidays. I won't say which one. And he was like, I'm out. <laughs> this is a money loser. And he was blowing stuff out at 50% off because he's like, I'm, it's oh, I'm, just the clothing. Just get it out of here. It's, I'm just carrying dead inventory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, like I say, these days here we are in 2023 and we've largely got ourselves to blame. Right. How many times? And it's not just clothing. I mean, how many times have you thought about making a big purchase like a TV? And you go into, you know, your local big box store, you go into Target or something, and you're like, just take a picture of it and see how much it is on the on the web. Oh, I can get it for 50 yeah, bucks cheaper. Time. Boom, you just ordered it. 
you know it's yep. it kind yep. of yep. is what it is um but it's yeah it's tough you cannot beat walking into a store trying on the jacket how does it feel how does it look how do I feel in this jacket? Because clothing's very, very personal. It's next to your skin. I want it to fit well. I want it to look good. Um, it's a deeply personal thing. I very rarely buy clothes online. Very rarely for that reason. But not everybody thinks that way. Um, but, I mean, ultimately you can't beat it. But you've got to, you've got to say to yourself, if I am going to do it that way, then I'm going to pay a premium for it. And then what's that premium going to be on that $1,000 climb jacket? Well, when do I stop buying it in store and when do I go online? At 100 bucks, At 200 bucks, At 50 bucks, At 20 bucks. What's that crossover point where I'm not going to buy it in the store and I'm going to buy it from the eBay seller? You know? And yeah. it's, as a point of interest, if if you do buy on eBay, here's an Emma top tip. Always make sure you have a PayPal account. PayPal and eBay are like peanut butter and jelly. And if you, if you buy stuff off eBay, and I rarely do these days. I mean, I'll, I'll buy things off eBay which I can't get through a wholesaler like vintage motorcycle parts. And something's wrong or you get ripped off or something's not what it should be, PayPal just step up and refund you straight away. Absolutely no messing around. And, I mean, eBay's very, very good too, but it's that second layer of protection. PayPal have never let me down. Not once in, gosh, 20 years. Any dispute, they just pay up. So there it is. Um, do you, are we done with emails, or are there any more you want to broach this week? We're getting no, close. I think we're good. I think yeah, we're, we're good. getting close to time. Um, so that was it. You have wasted flew by two hours <laughs> of your precious time listening to us, and I want to tell you how much I appreciate it from the heart of my bottom. Sorry, bottom of my heart. <laughs> uh, sign up for the Misfits Rally. That's coming up yes! soon. Yes! Misfits Rally is coming up soon. You can sign up for that. Breaking Away Adventures. Yes. You can sign up for Emma and Kat's Alpine Adventure. You, you can sign up for Castles and Curves. You can sign up for Liza's English trip called Blimey Gov, you're a caution incher, <laughs> Danny Apples and Pears with your trouble and strife. In it, eh? Oh. So there's so many trips you can sign up for. You can sign up for a Big Sur motorcycle adventure. Um, or a Vietnam one. Or a Vietnam one, if you're super adventurous. And I'll put this out for the uh, Misfits, Misfits listeners. $100 off on the Vietnam trip. Cool, blimey! Whoa. Is there a code wow. or something you they should put on there? All week just con just contact me and just say you're a Misfit listener, and I'll take care of you. Anybody? Yep, there you go. That is a wow. hundred street noodles. And how much does a bowl of noodles cost? <laughs> one dollar. So one you, dollar could, you could you buy a hundred street noodles and You'd be the most popular person in town. You or you town. would be the fattest person in town. You go very slim and come back incredibly or maybe fat. Both. Or maybe both. Absolutely. So, um, God, and we've got a lot going on this year, haven't we? Yes. And as always, we want to thank our Patreon subscribers for supporting this. And we want to thank everyone because pay yourselves on the back because you cats are cool. And if you want to ride dirt bikes in the desert in, in April, because none of my friends will go. Maybe I don't have any friends. <laughs> I think that's the epiphany that I just had. You know what? 
It's back a naked down, thing. Back down Mojave it's in, the in desert. April. <laughs> it's, it's like shooting shotgun shells into the fire, but it gives it that element of danger, it which does. might doing, put people off yeah, a we, little bit. Well, actually, I'd be more uh, excited to do that. It is. Well, Craig <laughs> has lit the campfire from a distance uh, in the Mojave. I've seen him do it. So, so um, any parting thoughts from you, Baylor? Um, um, be well and ride safe. <laughs> and so, stay warm. Stay if you are in a warm, cold yes. neck of the woods, I know it seems like we're stuck in the middle of winter, um, and it seems like spring is a million miles away, but it ain't. It's coming, and it's coming yep. quick. Unless you're in Cleveland, yep. Ohio, then it's going to be quite some time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, the, the groundhog, I think, has been frozen but in I, his burrow for I the did, next 20 years. I think I saw a picture of the Benelli with the sidecar uh, somewhere in Phil's repertoire lately. That yes! Eliza had built. Oh, my God. Yeah, it yep. looks like for a complete death trap. AMA vintage machine. So, oh, yeah. well done, Phil. So, um, we're getting towards the end of the show. Now, Donovan, you're going to have to figure out what's going on because um, we sign out in a very, very particular way. So, um, trust me, you're going to be okay. So, um, there it is. This is Emma. Stubby John. Craig. Beardo Donovan. <laughs> Beardo, I love you. <laughs> Thank you, Jim, son. And Bagel. And we are out of here. You've heard a bird. Cool. cool. cool.